Hey, this is Darren Tyler. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast from Conduit Church. Conduit is a community of Christ followers that meets in the Nashville area. If you'd like more information about what's going on here or around the world through Conduit, you can go to conduitchurch.com. I just, I feel something different happening, so I don't want to miss it. Would you, uh, would you pray with me? Father, would you uh, move among us this morning, speak to us, work in us, allow your word to be the lamp to our feet, the light for our path that you promised that it would be. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Revelation 10, verse 1. I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, And his left foot on the land, kind of like the jolly green giant, you know, massive. (laughs) And cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. And now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand into heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it and the earth, the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that they should be delayed no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. And as he declared to his servants the prophets... I've been really intrigued by this the whole week because this is a book that is supposed to be about revealing. Revelation, it's to reveal these hidden things. And we're, you know, the word apocalypsis, we know it as apocalypse, but in the Greek it just means to unveil. Like uh, at a new uh, car dealership and they pull the the towel off or whatever, and then the new car, ta-da. That's like what this book is supposed to be. But isn't it fascinating that here... These seven thunders are roaring, and, and John goes to write down what they're saying, and he says, whoa, 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 no, don't, don't. It's almost like on Twitter, when you're on the West Coast and the game is still going, you don't want to look on Twitter because you, you don't want to know how it's going to end. It's like a spoiler alert. Because I don't think it's like John going, nah, 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 I know something you don't know. I don't think it's that, but at the same time, God takes the time and the space in the word to say, you don't get to know this one. Now, there are those that have decided they do know. Ellen G. White, who founded the Seventh Adventist, like, almost developed an entire denomination based upon what the seven thunders said. I've spent a lot of time wondering, and if you were to ask me this morning, what do these seven thunders, what did they say? I'm going to tell you, I don't know. Beats me. I think it's an unknowable Question. But why would God do that to us? And, and I feel like next week we're going to talk more about the blessing of not knowing. But there's this thing inside of us that God created every single human being with, this need for uncertainty, adventure in our lives. Men, you have it. Women, you have it. 
You have a security gland as well. Dave Ramsey talks about that as a lot with finances, that in a female, the security gland gets tripped. But we have this need for adventure. Last night at 12.30, the doorbell rang. Speaking of adventure. And not long before that, I had actually texted my daughter Madeline because she was babysitting. Say, are you on the way? We knew she was going to be done by midnight, and so I texted her, are you on the way? And I didn't hear back from her. And so when the doorbell rings and it was the sheriff, um, you know, I'm a pastor. I've had some unfortunate phone calls, and that was the first thought was. And so I put the gun away and because <laughs> the sheriff and... Um, FYI, if you're at my house at 1230. And uh, so I mustered all the courage I could. I opened the door and he's like, "Uh, you got a donkey? And uh, of course, there's this giant sigh of, I'm sorry, I just, it's it's a long story, but uh, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. He says, well, I almost hit him. And so I I didn't know where he went, so I took him up to Ms. Tipton's uh, across the street because he was over on that side of the road. And so Earl uh, had a sleepover with the cows and the horses across the street. (laughs) And I checked on him this morning. He was quite happy. He was loving life over there. Uh, There was like a pond and this whole thing. But I went back to the backyard because he was like, you know, of course, the sheriff is just assuming there's a hole in the fence because what kind of an idiot would leave the door open? So I would close, as I was closing the gate, all of the little sheep were gathered around the opening of the gate, just staring at it, like cursing themselves a fool because they didn't have the courage to go beyond the gate. And they're all literally, they're just like staring at it. I'm thinking, well, thank God they're idiots because they, they could be over with Earl with the pond and the cows, and the sheriff. But instead, I I shut the gate and locked him back in. And realized that Earl, man, it was dangerous. Earl almost got hit by the sheriff last night. But because Earl had the courage to take a walk, he's had an awesome day. He couldn't figure out what the big, you know, the big deal was. And I wonder how many of us are there, that the gate is open. The gates of hell shall not prevail against Earl or you. <laughs> and how kind is it that God would say, hey, there's some things that you're not going to get to know because I have wired you in a way that if you knew how it was going to end, what a terrible movie that is. What a terrible life that is if I know how it's all going to go. That the risk inside of me that he wired me with to begin with, interestingly enough, is the very thing that it takes to accomplish the mission that he gave us to do, which is to say to the gates, I'm going through them. I have no idea what's on the other side. I don't know if I'm going to get back safely. But I know that this gate is open, that he has opened it. He's given me the keys to heaven on earth to open this gate. And how many of us are like my sheep, which again, kind of thankful because I didn't want to you know, herd them all back in. But be that as it may, 
we're just hanging out in the pasture when we could have this awesome adventure that he's given us and then wired us with the need to do anyway. And wives, I'll challenge you this morning that don't domesticate your husbands so that they don't get to take these risks that God is calling them to do. We live in a society that says put a helmet on. I mean, you know, we grew up in a world where we were driving in the front seat and the bench seat with dad just literally bouncing on his knee, driving 100 miles an hour, and I survived for the most part. And I say that to say that in our world, in our society especially, we have this, there's so much fear that controls us. And I say this specifically because this is actually a statistically proven thing that's happening in our society right now, that our, that our wives are sort of rising up and assuming a masculine role in the homes to say, oh, don't do this or don't do that. We want to be safe. We don't want to be... And husbands, look, I'm not, this is not a wives-only thing. This is a husband's thing. So, are there kids in here? Some of you husbands need to grow a spiritual pair. And rise up to the occasion of what God has called you to do. And here's the thing. It's awesome. David Whetstone is here this morning. And I've asked him to come and talk for just a minute about what it looks like when you take this unknown. that is Because when you think about it, it's a bummer. Oh, I don't know and I want to know. And you spend your whole life knowing, trying to know something is not knowable. And instead asking the question of, well, what if God had asked you to go do something that was completely unknowable, that's completely risky, that's completely crazy? Someone, I spoke at a conference last week, and they handed me a book that they had written with their husband. It's this guy, uh, he partners with uh, this guy, Seth Godin, and they'd written this book, uh, The Power of Doing Something Stupid. And they handed me the book, because after I'd spoke, they're like, this is totally you. Like, we would have put you in this book. <laughs> Conduit's the dumbest thing you, I've ever done. <laughs> And it's awesome. But there's somebody that's done some even dumber things <laughs> that I've met. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to meet the guy that's done dumber things than I've done. <laughs> David has been a missionary that we as a church have supported, and I want to support even more. David has uh, had the spiritual wherewithal to do some things that were dumb because God told him to do them. And as a church, we get to be a part of that because we are financially supporting them. Some of us have actually gone with them. That picture right there is from this summer. With uh, We were baptizing people last summer. Uh, I don't remember how many. My, all I know is I had like African prune feet mm-hmm. when it was done. <laughs> Just baptizing people. That little guy on the right is Pastor William, who is the pastor that he and his wife moved up there and lived into one of those little Lord of the Rings huts uh, and gave birth to babies in that little hut and is still there today uh, in a little church called Conduit Church in the northern bush country of West Africa. But when David first got there, there was, David was sleeping in a tent. He still sleeps in a tent when he goes over there. But there was not even water over there. I mean, there was, this was the water, nope, let's go. Uh, that was the main water supply for the village right there. And that's actually during the rainy season. During the dry season, that will actually dry up, and then they're using mud puddles. And would you tell us the story? Because the well is one of the dumbest things you've done. One of the biggest unknowns. 
that you've done, but these kids were drinking. This was their water. This was them going to the sink, to the bathroom, to the car wash. All happened here. But would you, so a lot of us that are here this morning weren't here the last time when you were able to talk about that, but would you tell us about the well? Give us the two minute, because it's good. Well, um, when I first went to Africa, um, they told me that I was setting myself for, up for failure. Even one of the pastors I might have uh, said that too, came to, <laughs> he drove 12 hours through the night that I didn't know about. And for an African pastor to do that and spend his own money is huge. Uh, but he drove through the night to get there to say, David, I'm pleading with you. I've worked with the government and we've tried to drill here before. We've tried three times. There is no water in this village. Uh, but I knew in my spirit that God was telling me this is where you're supposed to be. And so uh, to make the story not incredibly long, uh, they came out and they drilled. And they drilled to about 3 o'clock in the morning and they didn't find water. And that costed me $5,000. And I began to pray and say, God, did you... Uh, send me out here. I came out by faith. Did you send me out here? Uh, and there's really no water. Am I a fool? Have I been set up for failure? What am I going to, I mean, how are they going to look at my God when I'm saying God will supply all your needs? And I've been preaching this and preaching this and saying, we're going to find water here. We're going to find water here. But then they come and tell me there's no water here. So I say, well, I believe with all of my heart that there is water in this village that God is going to give us water. And so I said, come out again. And so three days later, they had to go back to get the pi uh, piping and casing and everything. And they come back out. And they're setting up to drill the well for the second time. And they spent hours using these uh, stakes that they would drive into the ground. And they would hook wires up and the, you know, the meters. And they said, 90% chance, 90% chance there's water here. Then I say, come on, let's drill. We sign the papers of the contract. And it's going to cost how much more to drill again? All that. It'll be 20, about 15000 Okay. To drill again is another five grand? Another five grand to drill okay. again, yeah. And so uh, they were set, getting set up. We were excited. Uh, and this was the same day that the voodoo uh, priests and everybody were going to this water hole when it's oh, barren yeah, and right. dry. And they were offering sacrifices that day. And we actually were going to go in and just view and see what they do. It's one time a year they do this, right? It's one time a year they do it. Happened to be that day. Happened to be that same day. But then we saw, we didn't know the truck was coming that day, but we saw the truck coming in and we got real excited. And so we left their party and started our own. <laughs> and some teenage boy came over to me and he's shaking and we're about ready to drill and I'm excited. I just know God's going to do something. We've been fasting and praying and this teenage boy comes over to me shaken one of the american missionary like, teams that's over there right I was, like, I was like did you drink some bad water or something and he just he's like i don't know but david i don't feel like we're supposed to drill right there and i looked at him i said excuse me he says god told me in my devotions this morning that water's underneath the rock and I looked at him in my mind, I thought, you were a crazy fool. What church did he come from? <laughs> so his youth pastor's coming to, uh, is approaching me now. And, and I look to his youth pastor and say, one of your students, and say, I don't want to put his fire out. So I don't want to overlook what he feels the Spirit of God's telling him. But would you please uh, tell him that we cannot move the, the drill? And he goes over, he says, I'll take care of it. He goes over to the rock that this strange guy was sitting around thinking that water was underneath it and the youth pastor comes back over to me and he drank the same water that that other guy did and he's starting to do this shaken number and he says David I, I don't know but the, 
we need to move that drill. The, the, whatever he's saying is true. I don't, I've never felt in my life what I felt over there. So Peter Dublin, if you know Peter Dublin, he worked with us. And he came to me next. And I said, Peter, I had one crazy guy. Now I've got two. I said, I'm not moving that drill rig. But I cannot crush these people's hearts and spirits. Please, go do something. He said, don't worry about it. I gotta, I'll take care of it. So Peter goes over there to the rock, and he's praying, and they're standing there, and he comes back over to me, and he starts doing this number and says, David, you know I'm not the emotional type. <laughs> he's Baptist. <laughs> right? <He is>. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. He don't even know how to do that. <laughs> he says, you know I'm not the emotional type, but we have got to move that jewel rig. And I honestly, in front of everybody, I, lo- I turned around, I looked up, and I said, dear God, did you not test me enough to move me out in the middle of nowhere to drill one time, go for the second time? They told me there's no water. Did you not test me enough to then bring a team here that is full of quacks? I said it. I was honest. And so by now I look over and there's 30 people around this rock and they're all just sobbing and crying and screaming. And I'm, I'm thinking in my head, these people are, I don't know what breed they come from, but I don't want to visit their church. I don't want to catch that. So uh, I looked over, or I go to the guy that's drilling the well, that's in charge of it, and I say, this is what they're saying. They're saying we need to move the well. He pleaded with me, David, don't move the well, uh, the drill. If you do, the contract is here. It's going to cost you $5,000 just to move the drill. And so I say, we are not moving that drill. We're going to stick here. Because I thought, hey, if we don't catch water here, then we're not any worse than when we started because we already signed this contract, right? So uh, I say, just so I go over here and I begin praying around this rock. And they're all screaming, and, and I don't feel anything. I'm like, God, you put me here to, to be the leader, right? I've got to make this final decision. And every one of these people are feeling this urge to move the drill. And if I don't move the drill and we don't catch water there, they're going to tell me, see, I told you so. So my pride was, was in there. And so uh, I'm sitting here, and then I, in my mind, I say, Dear God, I pray. The sky is clear. If you want us to move that drill, let it rain. And as soon as I said that, the initial teenage boy that came to me started screaming. He didn't know what I was praying. And he began screaming, let it rain, let it rain. <laughs> and as soon as he, he called out to God to let it rain, it rained. I looked over at the drill uh, where they were standing. And I said, Solomon, which is the guy that owned the drill, I said, Solomon, is it raining over there? He says, no, it's not raining. It was just raining right where we were. I said, move that drill rig. So they moved the drill rig, and within just a matter of 30 minutes, water was shooting up so high. They had uh, gotten a spring. They hit a spring, and that spring, they're telling us, it will never run dry. There's so much water in the spring. But the amazing part of that story is this. Uh, That was the amazing part. (laughs) (laughs) The amazing part that I think is this. Uh, The guy that was drilling our uh, well, he got on the phone, and he's just gibbering and gibbering in his mobile dialect. And Pastor William comes over to me, and he says, David, this is what he's saying. That's the governor's son, and he called his father. And he says, Dad, the same God that I have been taught about all my life is not the same God of this village. Dad, I know I've been raised a Muslim, but this God is real. And to this day, uh, he has opened up doors that... God has used him to give us uh, all the paperwork that we need, stuff that takes years and years to accomplish. We now are uh, an official NGO, and it happened within a matter of months. Pushed papers, did everything. 
He's given his life to Christ and working alongside of us every day now, all because of the miracle of this well. It was, uh, wasn't very long later that I was actually there and was able to uh, speak at the church, at what we call Conduit Church in Togo. And it was such an honor because I was able to stand up there that morning and say to them, because like with a couple hundred yards one way was a well that had been drilled by the government. The government came in, we're going to provide you water. They drilled a hole, there was no water, they capped it and went home. And on the other side is the voodoo. They're over there killing a perfectly good chicken that they could have eaten, but instead they're sacrificing stuff to their God, who on a, the best day gives them a mud puddle for, for water. So it was with confidence that I could say that your government isn't your God, your God isn't a real, like he's not providing. Today we're not asking, because in a government, or in a, in a culture like this where it's a multi-theist, like they, they're all, it's polytheism, you know, we'll just add a God to the list. If you're talking to somebody, they're inviting him to invite Jesus, you have to really be clear that I'm not asking you to add one to your list. I'm saying tear up your list, throw it away, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus Christ, is the God that provided water. You saw that miracle, and that day, like half the room, it felt like, stood up to say, we want to turn our back on Allah, on voodoo, and turn towards Jesus, and today, tell us a little bit about the church today. That was two years ago? Yes. The church today, Pastor William, David just got back. He was over there this summer. Tell us what's going on in the church right now. Well, I just talked to Pastor William. I talked to him about every day, but about two days ago, he told me, David, we're experiencing revival like I've never seen in our country before. Um, we've outgrown the building that we're in. Uh, we're up to over 400 plus now. Sometimes they stand Gosh. on the outsides, but they are literally, uh, and I'm telling you something, guys. I know places you can go and you can offer them water and food and education and all these things, and you can pack the place out, uh, and they'll come for what they can get. We work really hard at not giving handouts, but hand-ups. And I'm telling you, when you go into this, this building, when they are worshiping, you just literally will melt to your knees because of the power of the Holy Spirit that's there. And you see the evidence of their change. One of the guys, I'll give you a quick, uh, two people. One guy uh, was the guy that stood up against us and fought us. They didn't want us because the land that we purchased actually was the land where he had his home. He didn't own the home. He just set up shop there. And the chief told him, and said, well, they're buying the land. And he got so mad. He causes so many problems. Uh, he was uh, one of the voodoo priests, uh, and his family practiced it. But his kids started coming to our program. They got born again, and then he started inquiring questions, and he's given his life to Christ and is now one of our main elders in the church. And I'm telling you, when you can see him <laughs> dancing, his entire family, his wife, one wife, with all which of his... Which is a miracle in and of itself. Which is a miracle with all his children. He has about five children from this one wife, and they are all in church just worshiping, praising. His son is one of our uh, leaders that runs the entire program. All of our, our program's led by youth there, by the way. There's no one o over the age of 16 that works in the program besides in the kitchen. Um, but it's amazing. And the second person was a drunk man, and he was known as the drunk man. Do you remember? He's crazy. I loved this guy. He's literally like, crazy. Yeah, like the classic I mean, town he, drunk he, guy. He's yeah. humorous. Yeah. And he would be falling all over the place, and, and his wife would testify, he embarrasses me. He just passes out. 
But he came to Jesus and he has not touched a sip of alcohol. And he told us, he says, I've even had to get rid of my, my thermos, you know, they care for their water. Because he says, even the smell of alcohol makes me sick. And he's given his life over to Christ. And he's pleading that God will save his children. Because his children is following the same path that he led them down. But we God baptized. is just working incredible you, David things. Was, so David got the malaria last year, which is sort of an unfortunate thing. Um, so he had to come home. Cause, which if you know David, like he doesn't... Like he doesn't do sick, so he was going to, we're like, no, you probably need to get on a plane and come rest. So he wasn't with us, but we baptized him. And, oh, dude, and he just, I mean, danced all over, got us, yeah, he got all wet, got us all wet dancing in the water when he came up out of there. Just, you know, one of the things that was, uh, there was, so I don't know that I could possibly, without you going there, convey the remoteness of this place. Because you land in the, you know, the, the capital city and you think, Africa, that's a remote place. So you land in Lome and then we get on a, that year we got on a bus and drove like 12 hours and it felt like it was worth some that, with like the chickens and the medical supplies and the mail. Um, but the faster way was with having a driver and there was a driver named Sonny. Now keeping in mind, it's Ramadan and Sonny's a Muslim. And what better way to go out than to kill a van load of infidels on the way to a mission trip. And that was the way he drove. <laughs> it was like, like there were moments where, like we hit a, again, kids cover yours. We hit a little goat, uh, like I swear he did it on purpose. Like he just kind of swerved over, <laughs> like you're hitting a turtle. And, and we got to the other side of this when we finally got there. And I remember telling David, I don't ever want, I was furious. Like, I don't want to ever see this guy again, let alone have him drive us. You know, tell us what happened with Sonny. David did something stupid. Uh, Sonny um, chose to follow Jesus, uh, which... <laughs> because David didn't listen to me. He didn't fire him. I didn't. Uh, but he's, uh, he's given his life to Christ. And it's been a difficult road for him since. Because when you yeah. give your life over to Christ, as a Muslim, you uh, lose your family and everything. And he was very popular. And he still is very popular, but the people that were funding him, he's a taxi driver, he didn't own anything, but the people that were funding him, helping him get a van now have totally abandoned him and won't uh, help him, so we're in the process of trying to help him to take care of his family now, uh, but he is, he is full-fledged in. You know, when we first started, he was my first driver when I went about 11 years ago. And uh, we would have to stop every other hour for him to get his mat down off the roof, to lay down in front of the van before we could go again uh, for him to pray to Allah. And uh, but When you're on a 12-hour drive, if you've got to stop every few hours and roll the carpet out, I mean, that adds to your trip. That's right. He still has the mat, but he's, he uses it to sleep on. <laughs> uh, and he, he, he's just so awesome to see him dancing. If you've ever been to one of the church services, dancing is a very huge part of their yeah. uh, worship and he, just to get up there and dance. And he jumps right in the conga line, man, just he's incredible. doing the laps. You know, what I had, uh, when I read this this morning about not, you don't get to know what the thunders are saying, it was almost like what he, because what he didn't get to write about was the thunder, the, the darkness of Revelation 9 that we just got out of. But instead he gets to, and I'll tell you next week why I believe this, but this being this giant, this 
angel. The word angel is angelos. It just means messenger, and it could mean a pastor. It could mean an angel, or it could mean what I believe, in this case, the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus. Don't write about that. Don't write about the storm, he's telling him. But hey, but you can write about Jesus. And I think that may be what he meant, Paul meant in Romans when he said to overcome evil not with a good debate. Don't overcome evil with witty arguments or, but with good. Overcome evil with good. And there have been moments in David's life, because I've walked through a lot of life with David, where he's in the middle of overcoming evil with good. And it's not all sunshine. There are good days and bad days. But my question for you is when you've walked into this unknown, because that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure unknown is possible. It's like not a strong enough word. When you walked into the unknown, and now it's been a few years, and there were moments where we talked about, and I don't blame him, you know, about quitting. Like, this, you know what? This was stupid. Let's, I'm done. You know, it's because not only does he face attacks over there and stuff, he faces attacks over here. People saying things, and, you know, it's, when you put yourself in a leadership position, what you've done is draw a big target on your back. And, uh, and he's had that here as well. But my question to you, five years in, four years in, in Togo, was it worth it? Uh, it's worth every second. And if I can share my heart with you for just a minute, every one of you are, are designed with purpose. And that's not just something you say, you're designed with purpose. You're designed with destiny. Pray with me. I'm writing a book right now. It's called Destiny, Believers That Don't Believe. We say we believe, but we don't. If we did, we would do. <laughs> and I'm telling you, friends, I started this thing not out of a heart for God, but out of a heart to find myself. And God took my pain, he took my feeling of rejection, he took my insecurities, and he used them. From not having a will to live, to finding myself in Africa, to helping kids, not for Jesus, but for me. But you know what God did through that? He, he turned what Satan meant for evil, for good. And Hundreds of people have come to Christ because of my fear of rejection, because of my insecurities, because of my desire to never have a relationship with a girl due to being so hurt and broken. And it's why I'm not in a relationship today, but by God's grace, I'm being healed and soon I'm going to get married. He's available, FYI. Yes, I am very available, very available we and are looking. taking applications. <laughs> I'm looking. Checking. Uh, I think everybody's married here. Not everybody. <laughs> but he took my, my, my feelings of pain and rejection. And I started seeing things grow. I'm talking about 40 acres of land that we own. I'm talking about buildings being built. I'm talking about over a half a million dollars donated last year. I'm talking about just God growing this thing. And I'm telling you, I, I just was getting <laughs> real excited and Oh, this is great, this is great, this is great. And you know what I did? God took me through that valley again. And for a year, I was depressed, I was miserable, I was hating life. And this past year, I looked at Pastor William. 
And I said, Pastor William, so much has happened. We've got 202 orphans that we're feeding every day. We're clothing them. We're educating them. We've, we've done complete plastic surgery on a kid's face. We have built, oh, look at what we're doing. But I'm so miserable. I've lost my joy. And I'm telling you, the reason I lost my joy is because I began looking at myself as, hmm, wow, you've done a great job. You sure have pulled yourself up. You sure have brought yourself from depression to, uh, and all these feelings of rejection. And, and look, you're, you are a superstar. And boy, let me tell you, God will allow you to do it. And he'll allow incredible things to happen, but you won't experience joy. And that moment I decided about six months ago, I said, God, everything that I do, we're not about putting names on buildings and we're not about giving incentives to if you do this, we'll do this. And if you'll do that, we'll do this. And I had a, a, a gala. How many people came to it? Did anybody come to it? I think I jiggy with it. It is the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. I hardly mentioned Jesus throughout the entire thing. I'm just testifying you, to you where I was. And it became more about me, I think. And I lost my joy. And so maybe if you are where you need to be with Jesus, but you're not giving him the glory for everything he's doing in and through your life, and you're not experiencing joy, it might not be because you're doing something necessarily wrong. Uh, it might be your focus is wrong. So I encourage you to, to remember that, that God has designed you. You were made with absolute purpose. And he wants to use you. And if you bring him glory, I'm telling you, incredible things are going to happen in and through your life. It's funny, David didn't know. Uh, uh, when I so I, I was praying this morning even about what this morning was. And I was having a hard time gaining a, a piece of, of what direction to go. And. And I was reading, and I don't know, uh, you guys remember the story of Elijah and Elisha? How many of you thought, just curious, that Elijah, if I were to say Elijah got taken off in a fiery chariot, how many would you would say that was how he went out from the sky? I, I would have said that as of this morning. The fiery chariot came and took him away. Interesting, that's not what happened. Elijah and Elisha, this is the end of Elijah's ministry, and he said in verse 9 of 2 Kings, when they'd crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I may do for you before I'm taken away from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. That's what he asked for. And Elijah said in verse 10, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me, look at, see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so and then it happened. He's telling him, keep your eyes on your master. As they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up, not by a chariot, but by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And then he saw him no more. And Elijah was given, if you count the miracles, exactly a double portion. It is exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah performed. But something that jumped out to me that I'd never noticed before was that he said, keep your eye on me. And out of nowhere comes this fiery chariot. This fire is coming. Now, had that have been me, I would have been looking at the chariot, keeping my eyes on that. 
because that's awesome. I mean, think about it, right? Horses and chariots. And had, listen to me, had Elijah has taken his eyes, Elisha, off of his master and onto the fiery chariot, he would have missed the double portion blessing because he was caught up in the excitement, in the hot thing going on, the hot debate, the shiny stuff, and not on the master. Jesus' invitation for us was to follow him. And things are going to happen on our way. Crazy stuff. Wells being drilled and crazy charismatic people. You might be one of them. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But don't keep our eyes on that. Our eyes are on the master. These signs will follow those that believe, not you following these signs. If you're following the signs, you've got the order backwards. But the invitation was to go into the unknown, to go where he's taken us. But to keep our eyes on Jesus the whole time. Because if we're just doing it as an exercise, and I was thinking this morning when you were talking about that, the broken part of you. What did, what did Paul write? In your weakness, he is strong. Even in our brokenness, we may not be ready. I'm not ready to go into the unknown because I'm not ready. I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with that. Man, oftentimes that's the Lord taking that and tugging you into that place, even for bad motives. And in your weakness, he will be strong. Always. But the way that it ultimately, and I guess that's really what you've learned this, I mean, and we all need to be learning this lesson every single day, is at the end of the day, the fiery chariots are here today, gone tomorrow. That village where the, the buildings are right now, we don't know. I mean, Muslim extremists from Burkina Faso come in tomorrow, take the whole thing over, and then it's ours. The fiery chariot is here today, gone tomorrow. It is the thing that you can't take with uh, us that could be here today, gone tomorrow. But if you keep your eyes on the master, we don't know who, what, we don't know when, we don't know how. We don't know how any of this is going to work out. We haven't seen the season finale yet. That's when we graduate to heaven. That's the end of your show. So if you're in a moment right now that's dark and you're thinking, God, have you forsaken me? No, you're just getting to the best part. The tension, the, the season finale is coming. And his invitation is always just keep your eye on the master. When the storm came with the disciples, what did they do? He came, not as you expected, he came with his boat, they thought. But they kept their eyes on him. As they went into the unknown. And the the beautiful part is, is that when you're heading into the unknown, I think God wired you with that sense of that need of adventure. And that's why I said that to husbands this morning, men especially seem to have that in them, this need for adventure. That's why little boys, you know, our little flashlight type right now, I mean, they're doing crazy stuff. I think it was Eli, one of the boys came back last night and he just went smack dab into the thing. He didn't see it. He thought he was hitting a shortcut. Took him his ball over, man, that was the most painful thing I've ever done. And it was awesome. (laughs) And that thing is that when Jesus said you must become as little children to see and enter the kingdom of God, I think that's how that is. It's just a sense of adventure for a little boy. Let's look at where man 
Sunday worship band comes back and I shared this morning is that you guys will take a serious baby. Somebody that looked to, to the unknown and went anyway. And to listen to the words of God to say that they don't write about the thunder and the lightning and the darkness and blitz. Write about the sun. You don't know what, when, how, why, but we know who. Keep your eyes on the master. And the fiery chariot, that's awesome. Don't get me wrong. It made it into, you know, the Bible, but that's weird. But if we get enamored with and follow our eyes on the fiery chariot, then the fiery chariot and then our master is gone. And we end up where all of us have gone. And maybe you were there this morning. And the man you met walked away from life after Christ came into your life. That's what we're called to do. And then I'm encouraging for you to keep looking up to Christ. And the beauty of Zion is that he can never be far away.